One day, every one of us will stand before our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's called the great white throne judgment. I mean, excuse me, it's called the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll stand there to be rewarded for the things that we've done in our lives. We call it the judgment seat of Christ reward stand. What we want to hear him say is what? Well done, good and faithful servant. So we think this way. We say, okay, we have this time our life, and we live on the earth, and when we die, it's over. And then we'll stand before Jesus Christ, and he'll look and see how we lived on this life. And that's exactly true. But there's something else here. When you die, your service is not over. Think about this. God can use our lives even after we're dead. You go, what are you talking about? Well, let me ask you something. Uh, Prof. Hendricks was at Dallas Seminary for 50-something years, probably the most famous of the professors, uh, probably one of the greatest Bible teachers I've ever heard, touched many, many lives, wrote some books, and he's dead. So there's no absolute anything that Prof. Hendricks ever did that could ever be used now, Right? No, we go, well, gosh, he wrote books, and you read things of what he said, and people say, exactly. So even after Prof. Hendricks has been dead now for 10 years probably, his ministry still goes on. The same way with your life. The things you do, the people's lives you touch, the way you've done things, even after you're dead, your ministry, your life can go on. We're going to see that even happens with Elisha, and we'll see. It's kind of weird because he's a prophet of God, and we'll see what happens. So let's begin. Let's think about the study has been so much. When we think about the prophets of God, we think of Elijah and Elisha. What a great encouragement because God used them. And, And one thing I always think about is one like Elijah was much more public out front, and Elisha was much more private. And when you think about ministries, there's some people who are out front, and there's some people who aren't out front. And that's just the way God does it. He uses them. So these last two events we're going to see in this study this morning, the prophecy concerning Israel and Aram and the resurrection power of Elisha. So let's start with the one here, prophecy concerning Israel and Aram. And so what's what's going on? You remember that there was a king by the name Hazael. There was a king named Ben-Hadid. That was the a title. And then Hazael. Hazel took over after that. We're going to find that Hazel's going to die, and another Ben-Hadad is going to take over. So that's just, that was like saying Pharaoh. It was a title. So notice what we see in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14. When Elisha became sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over him and said, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel... And its horsemen. Now, what in the world? He says that he's sick. Elisha's sick, and he's about to die. And I think everybody now knows it. I think Elisha probably told people, "I'm not going to recover from this. I'm dying." And and so even the king of Israel, the king comes to see him, and what does he say to him? He says, "He says, my father, my father." He wept over him. The chariots of Israel. What's he talking? Why does he say the chariots of Israel? Because remember, Elijah was taken away. How? By flaming chariot. It was a public ministry, a public departure. Are chariots going to come and get Elisha? The answer is no. He's not. He didn't have that public ministry. He had more of the private ministry. Elijah doesn't even die. Uh, uh, here comes the, the chariot, a flaming chariot, and just takes him away. Elisha's going to die. He's had a private ministry. And you might say it's going to be a private departure. We're going to see later on in a couple of verses it says uh, Elisha died and they buried him. That's it, you know. Well, guess what? For most of us, you know what they're going to say? They died and they, they buried them. And that's what life is. I mean, most of us aren't like Elijah, you know. 
So Elisha's going to die with a private ministry, private departure. He's sick. He's dying. The king of Israel comes to him and shows great respect, wept over him, and talks about the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. I think he's saying, I wonder if you're going to die and it'll be just like Elijah and that chariots are going to come get you. Think about dying. Uh, the older you are, the more you think about it, probably. You think, you know, it, it, I'm not going to go on forever unless the Lord comes back pretty quickly. There's going to be a time that a lot of us, even in this room, are going to die. There's an old saying, I read this, it said, you cried when you came into the world and the people rejoiced. When you leave this world, may people cry and you rejoice because you're going to get to be with your Savior. And uh, so what does he tell Elisha? Uh, what does Elisha tell the king? Elisha said to him, verse 15, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Now, this is unusual. The king doesn't usually carry a bow and arrows. I mean, the king, not usually the fighter. Normally in the battles, everybody else goes. But Elisha says to him, go get a bow and arrows. He goes, okay, I'll do that. So he says, go get bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it. Then Elisha laid his hand on the king's hand. Now, you're thinking, what is going on? So he said, here, hold the bow. Hold it like this. King's got it. Then Elisha puts his hands on top. And he's saying, we're, we're in this together. We're doing this together. This is from God. That's what he's really saying. And you can imagine the king going, what, what is going on? So he said to the king, verse 16, put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it. And Elisha laid his hand on the king's hand. He said, open the window toward the east. And he opened it. Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, even the arrow of victory over Aram. For you will defeat the Arameans at Aphek until you have destroyed them. He said, open the window, look out to the east. Now, wherever they are, they're near Samaria. I'm sure of that area. And the east, it would be, well, actually, it would be a little bit like northeast. And it would be shooting toward Aram. And he actually says, okay, shoot. And he shot. And he says, that's a picture. That's a picture. It's a picture of victory. God will give the victory over a ram. You go, wow, that's pretty good. But he's not through. He's not through. Look what he does. Then Elisha, oh, verse 17 again, he says, Elisha should shoot and he shot and the Lord's error for victory, even the victory over a ram. Then verse 18, then he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, shoot the ground. And he struck it three times and stopped. He said, now take the, the, the bow and arrows, take some arrows and strike the ground. So he said, okay. So I imagine he went outside and went. I did it. I did what you told me to do. He struck the ground how many times? Three times and stopped. Now watch Elisha. So the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times, then you would have struck a ram until you would have destroyed it. But now you shall strike a ram only three times. So he said, you should have, you should have struck the ground a bunch of times, five or six times. The man of God was angry. Why? Because he said, you, you should have struck the ground five or six times. We realize striking the ground has something to do with victory over a rim. 
He already said, shoot out the window. So he shot out the window. He said, you're going to have a great victory. In fact, you remember what he said? He said, you will destroy them. That's what he said. And then he said, now strike the ground. He strikes it three times. And then he doesn't say you will destroy them anymore. He said, you should have struck them five or six times until you would have destroyed it. But they're not going to do that now. You will now strike a ram only three times. Wow. You could almost see the king say, well, why didn't you just tell me to do a whole bunch of things? I think he's leaving. You know, he's saying, it's up to you. You're the king. What are you going to do? Strike the ground three times is what he did. And the king looked at him and said, I, I struck the ground three times. And he said, you should have done it five or six times. And if you'd have done it five or six times, you would have completely destroyed a ram. But now, you only strike them three times. Verse 20. Elisha died, and they buried him. I'm going to stop right there. That's it. No fanfare. No chariot coming out of heaven. Scooping him up. No people going, anybody want to let's go look for Elijah. Oh, no telling where he is. He's amazing. No, he's gone. Elisha dies and they go, well, Elisha died and they buried him. What are they going to say about us? We died and they buried us. You know, I, I've done a lot of weddings. I've done 300 and some weddings, but I've done like 150 funerals, which I didn't realize I'd done that many funerals. And they're all different, of course, different people and everything, but... They're all the same. You put a person and you go out to a cemetery and you put them in the ground and people walk away and then they say things like, is this potato salad or is this, you know, what is this? You know, what are we eating? That's your life. I've always thought that it's strange that I do funerals and we try to talk about a person's life in 22 minutes? The funeral really isn't the place to do that. The funeral is to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ and it's the family's privilege to be together to talk about the life. What about Elisha? Elisha died and they <clears throat> buried him. That's it. Well, let's look. Let's look up and see what happened, Okay. Look at verse 24. When Hazael, king of Aram, died, Ben-Hadad, his son, became king in his place. Now remember, don't get confused, because there was a Ben-Hadad that Hazael smothered and killed. You remember? A couple of weeks ago, well, I guess last week, or whenever we studied that, that the guy by the name Hazael actually killed a king called Ben-Hadad, which is like saying he killed Pharaoh. And now he's going to die, and his son is going to come look at this. His son became king in his place. His son's name is Ben-Hadad, which is like saying his son's name is Pharaoh. And so, the, remember the king of Aram was Hazel, and now he's, uh, he dies, and his son Ben-Hadad comes to power as the king. Then Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, took again from the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, the cities, that he's saying there's a war coming and Israel fought against Aram. Now, remind me this. How many times did the king strike the ground with the arrows? What did Elisha say about that? They would strike Aram how many times? Three times. 
Joash defeated Ben-Hadad how many times? Notice, read the verse. Then Joash, son of Jehoash, took again from the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazel, the cities which he had taken in the war from the hand of Jehoash's father. Three times Joash defeated him and recovered the cities of Israel. What if he had striking the ground five or six times? They'd probably wiped him out. But he doesn't. The ram's still going to be there. The Arameans are still going to be there. So when God tells us to do something, do it full speed. I mean, really, right? I mean, do, do the best we can do. Be faithful in that which is little, and then you be faithful in that which is much. And the king probably didn't think about it, and he probably even thought, I don't know if I want to shoot arrows into the ground. I don't know what that means. Well, I'll tell you what it means. Huh? He well, as he may have thought that. He may say, I'm not, I can't even pull these out without tearing them up. So I, maybe just three. He said, you should have done it five or six times and you defeated him. But now you'll only defeat him three times. And, of course, history. So does Elisha give a prophecy that comes true? He does. Elisha predicted three victories. Three times they won. Now, this last one is so strange. I just put resurrection power of Elisha. Let's look at it. Look at, back at verse 20 again. Elisha died and they buried him. Now, let me stop and just give you an idea. They didn't just say, okay, let's go in the ground, dig up a place in the ground, put the body down in the ground. That's not how they did it. Even at the time of Jesus, how did they bury people? Where did they put them? In, in the caves, in the tombs, things like that. And so uh, even the same way here. And so they probably have the body of Elisha. When they buried him, they probably put him in some kind of cave or some kind of tomb place where his bones or where his body is there. You notice that it, what we know from history is they would take a body and they would leave it in there until it disintegrated, basically, except for the bones. They'd take the bones and usually put them in an ossuary, which is a bone box. Uh, apparently, at this point, Elisha's bones aren't ready to be put in a box, but they buried him, and it says that, he's, that now bands of Moabites would invade the land in the spring of the year. So some, re, some renegades would come in and steal things and beat people and steal stuff and do all kind of things. These are renegades. They're, they're invaders in the spring. They would come and, and go after things. So one day, they were burying a man. Some people are out there burying a man, and they said, where are we going to bury him? We don't know yet. And there happened to be right by the tomb where Elisha's buried. And it says that as they were burying the man, behold, a marauding band came. And so they said, oh my gracious, what are we going to do? And so they took the body, they cast the man into the grave of Elisha. They went, they just throw the body in there. And they threw the body in there. And when the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Would you have liked to have been there to see that? Guy goes, whoa, where am, what am I doing in this cave? And the rest of the people went, what, what happened here? This is amazing. Elisha died and was buried. And one day while they were burying a man, and when the man's body touched the bones of Elisha, it came to life, revived, and he stood up. Is that a miracle? Is that weird? That's a weird miracle. And you understand that after Elisha is dead, God still uses him to do miracles. And after we're dead, 
God can still use our lives. And you think, well, that, I thought that, you know, we live here, we serve God, we use our gifts, talents, ability, we die, we go to be with the Lord, and then one day we'll be rewarded. Well, what if, what if you uh, told somebody about Christ and they believed, then you died, and then they went and told somebody about Christ, and they said, the reason I know all about this is because uh, my friend, who, they passed away, but my friend is the one that led me to Christ. You get, any glory, you, you get any rewards for that? What if you wrote a what if you wrote a little pamphlet, a little book that talked about how to have eternal life and you died, and somebody found that book and they read that and they trusted in Christ? Is your life still touching lives? And the things you do and say now will go on for as long as the people who remember you. And sometimes the things you do now will go on for years and years and years because you write things or you put things down or you, you, something's recorded about you and it'll go on and on and on and on. So your, your ministry and your service for God doesn't end when you die. We see it lashes, it didn't end when he died. And it's the same for us. Let me give you some applications uh, this is just a short message, and we'll go to, the, to grow groups. But let's be faithful servants of Christ. He'll use us, every one of us in this room. Now, it is amazing to me how many people believe in Jesus Christ, start going to church, and never serve at all. They just sit there. They come on Sunday morning, and they, they say, I like it. I like the people. And when the service is over, they walk out the door, and maybe they come back next Sunday, but maybe they don't. But they never serve. And why did God put us in the body? See, when we gather together on Sunday morning, it's to worship and to be what? Trained. Trained for what? Ministry and service. We're all in the ministry and serve. And so we should all say, why do I come together with fellow believers? Well, it's encouragement, stir one another up to love and good works, but it's to worship together. It's corporate worship, and it's training, and it's equipping. So we learn the Bible, we learn the truths, we learn how to share our faith, we learn all these things. So let's be faithful. And don't just be one who comes and then goes, but be one who says, I'm here to be trained and equipped to serve. So how can I use my gifts and talents to touch lives for Christ? Now, what's amazing to think about this, some, some people's ministries are public. They're out front. People see them. They see them when they serve. I happen to have a ministry that's out front when I get to teach, so I get to be up front. People get to see me. But some people will have ministries that are private. They're behind the scenes. You don't know the person who set these things up. You don't know the people who did this yesterday. You don't know who the people maybe are working in the nursery right now. You don't know the people that, are, that do things that, that we never even know who did it. And they don't even want you to know. And Elijah had a public ministry and everybody knew what he was doing. Elisha had a private ministry and not many people knew what he was doing. And in our lives, it doesn't matter whether it's public or private, when you stand before God, what will he say? Well done. You had a good public ministry. Well done. You had a good private ministry. Because that's how he plans it. That's the key. Just to be faithful. Be faithful to do what God has for us to do. 
The second one is God will use our lives even after we die. I think this, this is amazing to me. You know, I, I hope that the 2-2 that we've written in the 412 and some other things, and I hope it goes on for, for years. I hope it does because I think it's really good stuff about, you know, what's the gospel, how to present the gospel, how to study the Bible, how to do those things, how to put the Bible together, you know. And, and so I think, you know, I hope some of the things that I've written or things might go on after I'm dead. I, I know things that you've done are going to go on long after you're dead. It's an amazing thing. I think of ministries like D.L. Moody, still going on. Prof. Hendricks, John Walford, Billy Graham. People's lives that touch so many other lives. And they go on. The ministry goes on. And you do the same thing. And listen, it may not be public. Just remember, don't, don't say, I'm nothing. I'm just sitting here and nobody knows me. It doesn't have to be public. Your life is going to touch lives that will go on for. Years and years and years to come. God will use us even after we die. Let's realize the resurrection power of God. Think about that. Take bones of, a, of an old man who died and his bones have been laying there and God let some guy who's dead hit those bones and all of a sudden come back to life. And we know God can do, God raises the dead. My gracious, you, you watched him raise the little 12-year-old girl and then the widow's son at Nain and, and uh, the, uh, you know, Lazarus. And, I mean, just, he, he does that. God's plan is he died and, what? Rose again. That's what Jesus did. He died and rose again. And he gives us victory over death. I want to remind you that Jesus came and died on the cross and paid for sin. And what? What did he do? What did he do? He rose again. That's resurrection. And then there's going to come a time when Jesus is going to come out of the clouds and the dead in Christ are going to what? Rise first and we who are alive remain to be changed. There's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. He's going to take us. And then when he comes the second time as the King of kings and the Lord of lords tells us in the book of Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 that the Old Testament saints are going to be raised from the dead to go into the kingdom. He is the resurrection and the life. Resurrection is in a person. The person is Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. In him was life. That's what the Bible says. So understand the power of the resurrection. Death is not the end. Every one of us, every human being, will be raised from the dead to, to exist. I almost said live forever, but to exist forever. Because those of us who know Christ will live forever. That's called eternal life of Jesus Christ. Those who have rejected Jesus Christ will die forever. It's called the second death and it's called the lake of fire. But Jesus Christ has conquered death. And he gave a little taste of it when they threw that man in there. And he comes back out going, "Woo!" I felt some kind of shock. I don't know what it was, but anyway, who knows.